Um, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do come before you, and we uh, just give you thanksgiving, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this this time that we have to gather to to worship you, Lord, through uh, through our fellowship with one another, our interaction, our praying for each other, our just spending time with each other as we sing to you, uh, praising you for how good you are to us as we study your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this this gift of prayer, which is the topic of today's section that we're in. And so, Father, we pray that you would, uh, Lord, help us in our interaction with you. Uh, Lord, we we speak to each other uh, so naturally and so comfortably. And when it comes to speaking with you, this is something that is uh, foreign to us at times and difficult. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us in our growth with you, that we would uh, learn how to communicate with you, that we would learn how to uh, to listen to you and interact with you, that you would truly become uh, just a part of our, our day, not just today, but each day. We pray that we, you, we would invite you in to our lives. And Lord, help us just to keep you at the forefront of our thinking and our interactions uh, as we as we navigate our lives. This is such a privilege that we have to come to you in prayer. And so we ask that you would help us in this area of our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. We read there, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so we've been sort of at Colossians for a while, back in Colossians chapter uh, 3, the first couple of verses. We were instructed to, to, to look up and to keep our eyes on Christ and the things above, that if we have been uh, raised with Christ, uh, we've been given new clothing and, and a, new, a new person, and we're supposed to order our lives sort of according uh, to, to this new life that we have in Christ, this renewed life that we have with Christ. And then Paul began to sort of really narrow in on the aspects of our life that, that really kind of meddle with the reality of like our day-to-day where the, where the rubber hits the road. Uh, our relationship with Christ isn't some abstract theological thing that, that uh, theologians grapple with behind closed doors, but our relationship with Christ is personal and it gets into the nitty-gritty of our lives, namely our relationships with one another. Uh, we're told to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We're told to let the word of Christ dwell within our in our hearts. Uh, and as this happens, we're to become a grateful people throughout this section, gratitude, thanksgiving, throughout, just throughout Colossians chapter 3 permeates the text that if you've received Christ as your Savior, if you've been raised with him, sort of the mark of your life should be that of of gratitude. He then gets into our marriages. I mean, this is the most intimate relationship on, on planet Earth, and God has created this union, 
And he says, within your marriages, uh, your Christianity should work itself out there. Moving from marriage, he goes into relationships between parents and children and children and parents. These relationships from employees to employers, from employers to employees. Basically, whatever we do, we're to do for the glory of God in every relationship that we have from the time that we wake up until the time we go to bed. Christ wants to, to, to play a role in our life. And he's equipped us through the spirit and how we act should be different than that of the world. And so now in today's section, which, you know, I think it should be short. We'll see. Um, like it's short in the text. It's not difficult to understand, but it's, it's, it's on the, the issue of, of prayer, which is communicating with God, um, which can be a frightening and difficult and sort of foreign thing for, for a lot of us. Um, I have a story at the end, but I think I'm going to share it now is because it's on my brain, because as soon as I walked in to the lobby, Chris assaulted me. I think he's in the back room. But apparently I've been talking about the Spanish speaking. Apparently Chris is fluent in Spanish. <laughs> he's Mexican. Who knew? Like, who knew that? And so he like just approached me with like a, an, a wave of Spanish. And I'm like, okay, hola. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I think I understood what you said, but I like can't like get it out. And I'm, and, and he's like, he just keeps going in Spanish and I'm understanding what he says. And he's kind of like looking at me like, you want this, right? I'm like, see, sí, I want this. Like, like me gusta. Like, I like this. Like, and it's like every Monday for the last, a handful of weeks, you know, I have a Spanish, I sit down at my computer and I meet my guy in Cordoba, Spain. And it's like, I have all of my pieces of paper, like all of my cheater notes that the teacher can't say, like my go-to, like, cause it's like go time. It's like when he comes on, he's speaking Spanish and I have to like be able to respond and I can understand, but I can't like quite get it out of me. And it's like terrifying. The other night in my sleep, I was like wrestling, like I'm telling you, I'm dreaming in Spanish, but I don't have a clue what's being said. And I'm like, and I'm trying to like go over my homework and I'm like wrestling in bed. And Anna's like, she's like, what is going on? It's like three in the morning. She's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm having this nightmare and I can't figure out how to conjugate the ear verb. And she's like in her sleep going, voy, vas, va, vamos, vice, van. And then she like goes back to sleep. I'm like, oh, thank you, honey. Now I can go back to sleep and I can get back to this dream and figure out how to conjugate the ear verb. And in the morning, she's like, what happened last night? And I was like, I was having this nightmare and I couldn't, I could for the life of me remember how to conjugate the ear verb. And she's like, did I conjugate it for you? I'm like, yeah, it was so helpful. And she's like, I was having this dream like I was conjugating the ear verb in Spanish and not having a, like, so it's a very weird place in our home these days. And I bring this up because I think Spanish, or not Spanish, Spanish for me can be like prayer for us. Like, like suddenly, like as you meet Christ and you become a Christian, the Bible then says, hey, what God wants of you is to start praying. It's like, oh, how does this work? Like, sometimes we think we're supposed to speak in the King James in our prayers. Uh, sometimes we think we're supposed to speak in like, lofty theological terms. But, but quite honestly, some of the most beautiful prayers I've heard prayed are by like new believers who accidentally like throw an F-bomb in there, like when they're talking to God. And I'm like, it's just beautiful. Like not, 
not that like the profanity is like it, it's the like they're just communicating to their creator. And that's what God wants. And so first we look at this word in verse two, devote yourselves to prayer. Like devote. This this isn't a word that's a compound word and it it it's the idea of combining persistence and courageousness. Um, it's the idea of holding fast and not letting go. And I think sometimes when we pray and things don't necessarily go as we want them to go, or we find ourselves in a situation that's just like, you know it's not going anywhere. And you know the situation is going to remain. And so praying can seem almost like, like, why are we doing it? Or like, what, like, why do we continue to pray this way? And so often I think what God is doing is we're communicating to him is that he's actually changing us and helping us in this. And so the question that, like, as I looked at these, like, it's, it's literally just a couple verses that's so short and sweet and to the point. But it's like, well, what does the Bible say on these issues? And it says, like, a whole bunch. Like, too much for me to, like, look at every single word in the, in the Bible about prayer. Um, and so, like, within the New Testament, there's a handful of verses. So there's a whole swash of verses up there. Don't get, like, terrified. Um, or maybe you should be terrified. I don't know. Um, but that, that convey sort of aspects of prayer related to this, devote yourselves to prayer. So, so devote, the idea of holding fast, not letting go, like you're, you're committed to this concept of prayer. Romans 12.12 12 says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulations, devoted to prayer. And so if we go to the whole context of Romans, which I don't know that we can do, but, but so much of the New Testament at the time of writing was was written under severe severe persecution um, as a scolding to like American Christians and to myself for the last year like for us to like interject what we've gone through to like what they were going through is just like how many of you can say that you had somebody a friend that was tied to a stake and burned or had their head cut off in the last year for proclaiming Christ anybody in the lobby if you ask the people that received this letter, probably everybody's hand in the church would have gone up. Their persecution was, I proclaim that Christ has risen from the dead. Okay, you're going to go get your head cut off. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Or cruci- I mean crucified. We're going to talk about your head coming off. That actually came historically a little bit later, so I don't want to like get ahead of myself historically. Um, <laughs> because I know somebody will come to me and say, oh, actually, the guillotine wasn't invented until, like, I mean, that's not the only way you can cut off a head. Just, but now we're, like, way off track, like, <laughs> and, uh, but what does Paul say? Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted, same word, to prayer. This is what the church in Rome that was going through great persecution under Nero, that that's what Paul said, this is what we are to be doing. He continues in Romans 15.30, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And so here Paul is, persecution as he looks at the church. So the, the aspect of prayer here, he viewed prayer like is going to combat with him before God. Um, I, I heard a talk, I don't even remember the context, I remember it was John Piper like many, many years ago, 
and he had a video on James, like a video, it might have been a sermon, it might have been something, I have no idea. And he said that Christians today view prayer more like a bellhop ringing the button like, excuse me, sir, my pillow's too hard. Can you bring me a softer pillow into my room? Thank you very much, God. Like, thank you. And he said the Bible's form of communication with God in, in prayer is, is more akin to a soldier in combat with a radio calling for air support. Like, I need help here. We're in battle. We're taking heavies. We need support. And Paul describes it this way. Like, I'm facing all of this first. Like, he would ultimately give his life, and he's leading the church. Like, get on your knees and pray with me. Join with me. Strive together with me in your prayers. Join me in this mission. And so their, their praying was actually engaging in the combat that was around them. In Ephesians 6.18, Paul writes, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view... Be on the alert with all perseverance, which is going to continue into the next verse that we get to. Be on the alert with perseverance and petition for all the saints. And so this was his command to be persevering in your prayers. The situations that they were facing were bleak. I mean, it was bleak from a human situation. Many of the early church were executed for their faith. Like it, it was going to get bad and it was bad. It was going to get worse for them. And so Paul instructs them to, to be faithful and alert in their perseverance and to, and to pray for the saints. And Philippians 4, 6, a, another great verse that probably many of you know that you might have it on your a picture in your house or somewhere. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for, what was that? Nothing. I don't know that the church today knows this verse. When I go and I talk to Christians, the anxiety for all kinds of stuff, I think it almost feels like a lot of us are reading like this, be anxious for everything. Like I'm, like I'm totally guilty of this. Read the news, watch the news, do all this stuff, get anxiety, be worried, panic. Be anxious for nothing. We don't have to fret. We're giving ourselves ulcers, worried about the things that the world and the media are telling you to be worried about. You don't have to be worried about it. God is offering you something better. And the reality is, is we do get anxiety. We do get worried at the situation. Like, and so he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So go to God with your concerns. And which we'll look at more, but also, and I'll look at this verse again, but notice it says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Um, I kind of like, when I read this with thanksgiving, like as you're praying, like, I'm going to have an argument in my head because I'm going to, like, debate myself right now. So I'll, enter, I'll let you guys enter into my, like, like, we're supposed to go to God with everything. Like, we're to pray always. God wants everything. You can't hide anything with him. But when I read this, there's a side of me that goes, like, God doesn't want your prayer, prayers to be your, like, complaint box. 
Like, he wants you to have gratitude. And this seems like foreign because, like, complaining is so natural to us. And having anxiety and, like, just, just going to God and, like, and just complaining about situations, about people, about whatever your circumstance is. Like, how would we be transformed if we focused on just practicing on being thankful? Look at the news. Be th- like, there's so much to be thankful for. Um, you can be thankful for everything. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made known on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Man, it's like the Bible just won't stop. Like, we don't want to hear this right now. Like, right? You guys are quiet. It's okay to laugh. Like, we don't want to hear this right now, do we? You guys, you're so like, am I really stepping on toe? Is this two weeks in a row? And it's like, the Bible's like... This is the Bible. First Timothy... But, but, but they, they, it was so much worse, so much worse. The circumstances which the early church lived in was horrific. It was the authorities that were executing them for proclaiming that Christ had raised from the dead. It was the authorities that were persecuting them for breaking out from the authorized religions of the day from rocking the boat of Pax Romana, which meant that Rome would provide peace so long as you stayed within your lane. And here came Christianity, which didn't really fit into the Jewish lane anymore. It didn't really get its lane until after AD 70 when Jerusalem was burned down, like things got really, really bad. And then it sort of emerged. And so Paul writes the instruction to young Timothy, who's going into a church that's fractured and has all sorts of divisions. He says, this is the commandment that I give to you. First of all, then, first of all, then, my number one charge to the church is that I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. For, for those of us who are believers in Christ, of every nationality and every circumstance, we are to be people who are known for praying for the leaders above us, for the authorities that have been placed by God over us, regardless if we like them or not, and you might say, well, our Christian's not a Christian nation anymore. Well, let's, have you guys met Daniel? Not this guy. But Daniel of the Old Testament. How, was, how were his authorities over him? They just decimated his whole country and his people, and they basically killed everybody, except they took a few handful remnant of the people to bring back to basically brainwash and train them up in their education system and to make them eat their foods and to do their stuff. And yet this guy, like, had a good reputation, prayed for the leader, prayed through the circumstances, uh, you know, almost became brunch for some lions and God protect, like God, like, 
Like we're commanded to be praying for those that are in authority over us. And he says, why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And so whatever the system is above us, whether you like it or you love it, or you hate it and you love or love it. I think that's the, that's. I think I was singing a song in my head, like it or love it. I want some more of it. I don't even know what song that is. What song is that? Is that a country song? Yeah. My brain has so much random stuff in there. Like I really need to go through the files and start deleting some of them. I totally just start singing some country song, or quoting some country song. So whether you hate it or love it. If you want some more of it, you know, like that's the kind of resist. Like we as God's people are supposed to be praying for them above us. Like we're to be praying for them. And the purpose of our prayers is like we as God's children, we don't want to be in conflict. We don't want to be at odds with the world. Like the world is doing this thing. God loves the world. We want to live a quiet life in godliness and have our peace godliness and dignity, and this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of truth, does your heart break for the leaders that are over you who you disagree with? Is your feeling for Nathan Fletcher, Gavin Newsom, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, do, do you have heartbreak that our Savior on the cross died for them and has commissioned us to be a light to them? Uh, my heart, like, it's not. Like, like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, I'm not praying for them 24-7. Like, I'm going through this text and being super convicted. The, the, the Bible makes it clear what we as God's children, what our focus is to be. And I think the church is getting off track. Like, I don't say our church. I just mean, like, in general, we're distracted. I feel like Satan has used COVID as a huge distraction to get us off course to get our eyes off the ball, to get our eyes from looking above at Christ, this sovereign God who reigns and rules and has placed us and positioned us in this life where we are to be used as a light for him. And Peter says, 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. That was 2,000 years ago. He's not writing today. Just like, it's the end of all things has been near for a while, biblically speaking. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. The New Testament says, yeah, the end is near. Like, we're not looking for a shot. We're not looking for something in the news to appear like, oh, it's here. It's arrived. Peter says the, the end is near. And because of that reality, because Christ has come, the next thing, it's a big word I learned in seminary, and I'm still trying to say it, eschatologically, eschatologically speaking, is that Christ will return. This could be this afternoon, could be before I'm done preaching, or it could be another 2,000 years. I, like, I don't know. The next thing that we're looking for like, is that Christ will return. The end is near. And he says, therefore, in light of this reality... Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for why? For the purpose of prayer. 
that we should be calling out to God. And so when we see prayer in the New Testament, there is a challenge for us to like engage in prayer in a real and significant way. And we think, well, I don't think God's hearing me. I don't, I don't, I don't think I know how to pray. I don't think I like speak in a way that God hears. I don't even know that I know what to pray or how to pray it. Or, and I love a story that Jesus tells. Like when I see this, devote yourselves to prayer. If you want to go with me over to Luke chapter 18, and then you can bookmark Luke because we'll return to Luke in a little while. In Luke 18, Jesus tells this parable to the disciples. And if you read the New Testament or the, the Gospels in particular, like the disciples, they had no clue how to pray. And it's beautiful. I love it. Like, I love the realness there. Like, we're, we're not unique in our inability to know how to pray and to communicate with God. The disciples were in the same boat as you and me, or you and I, which I don't even know which way. I always get confused. You guys can tell me later. All right, verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 1. Now he was telling them a parable, this is Jesus, to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. That sounds very familiar to the verse that we're in today, right? Devote yourselves to pray. Devote is the idea of holding fast and not letting go. It combines persistence and courageousness. He was telling them a parable to show them at time that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him, saying, give me, a, give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but, after, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or, nor respect man, Yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And, he, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he, will he find faith on the earth? And so he tells this whole parable about this naggy widow that would not leave this guy alone. And even in his earthly position was like, fine, I'll just do it. He says this, he says this to his followers because he wants them to be the naggy widow, to constantly be going to God and not losing heart, knowing that God will hear them. And he's saying, but when the son of man returns, will he find his children awake or asleep. And so he's saying, I want you to have persistency in your prayers. Like when I read these verses, I get like super convicted. There's, there's a side of me that feels guilty. Um, but I think that this is what the spirit does is he convicts us. He reminds us, he, he, he forces us to keep the faith. He forces us and reminds us to know, like, God is listening. God wants to communicate with you. God wants you to be communicating with him. And that regardless of your circumstances, no matter how good or bad it feels, God is right there in your midst, and he is leading and guiding you. And so be devoted to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. He continues back in Colossians. So this keeping alert... John MacArthur has a profound 
explanation of this I'd like to read to you. In its most basic sense, this means to stay awake and not to fall asleep during prayer. That was amazing. (laughs) That was like keeping alert, stay awake, don't fall asleep. It's not limited to tiredness, but really how we navigate the world. Like it's like we can fall asleep. I would even suggest that if you fall asleep while praying at the end of your day, that's not a that's not a bad thing to like. To like as you're drifting off to sleep to be communicating with God, and then when you wake up to kind of oh hey Lord how you doing here's like let, let, help me navigate today. I think this keeping alert is more about falling asleep at the wheel while you're walking and living out your life. When you no longer see the the world around you through the reality that if you are a believer, that you have been raised with Christ, that Christ is sovereign and over all things, Um, he's in control of everything. And so how do you navigate the things that you see? Are you watching the news and getting anxiety and furiousness? Are you looking at TV? Are you looking at social media posts and just running down these rabbit trails, getting frustrated? Or are you using these opportunities more as like prayer indicators for you? Like we need to be praying for this situation that as a believer, when I see the news and I see the things that are happening, instead of just getting like frustrated and anxious, what I need to do is take it to the Lord in prayer. When I go to the grocery store and I see opportunities and I engage with the, the person who's checking me out, do I take the opportunities to like go, I could pray for this person? Like, I love the dude at Costco. Like, I forget his name, but you guys know who he is. Scott. I love Scott. Scott, he's checking your receipt and he says, How are you doing? I am blessed. How about you? And I'm like, I'm blessed too, brother. Like, and I'll say brother to indicate, you know, like, hey, I'm pretty sure you're a Christian. And I, me too. And, man, I need to, like, be more spiritual even Costco. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about why do they not offer snacks anymore? And I'm upset about that. <laughs> like, I'm just, it's, I, they're coming back. So I'm not, I'm really thankful that that's happening. Um, but, like. We're to be to keep to keep alert, devoted to prayer, which means like, okay, if we're devoted to prayer, that means we're going about our days. And as we're in Costco and we see opportunities, there's like there's like opportunities to be praying for people. Like last year when all the racial stuff was happening, like I was engaging with one lady about the racial stuff. Like it was really like we it was really good. We were in, we were engaging, and I was telling her, I'm like, since Costco's on my mind, I'm like, yeah, I was walking through Costco, and there was a black lady there, and I wanted to go up to her and just give her a hug. And she's like, well, I'm so thankful that you did it because I'll be really awkward. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I'm telling you that I wanted to go give her a hug to say, like, like I love you. Like I, like, I don't even know you. But we're to keep alert. Like whatever, like, whatever your day is filled with, God wants to be, like, with you. He wants to be engaging with you. And these are things that you can communicate to him about. If you're frustrated, say, Lord, I'm really like, I have anxiety about the direction of this. And like, so I'm calling out to you to, to work something here because 
I know that you desire that all men would be saved, and the mess that we're in is because there's a whole bunch of unsaved people. Like this is the reality is that that, that, that people aren't saved, and people don't know their Creator, and, and they don't have the framework, and and so we want people to experience Christ so that they'll be transformed from the inside out, because that's the only thing that's going to make any change in in the world that we live in. And so we need to talk to the one who actually has the ability and power to transform the heart. And I love that Paul, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So there's like this safeguard. Like he's like, this isn't this isn't for you to just uh, complain to God. This this isn't for you to. As you're keeping alert, as you're devoted to prayer, inject thanksgiving. Like, like what a safeguard for how we pray. When you sit down to your pray, Lord, help me to be thankful for the things that I'm saying, that I'm praying, that, that I have anxiety for. God is not calling us to pray imprecatory prayers. There's a whole bunch of Psalms out there where David just prayed out God's, you know, that's, that's not what I see in the New Testament for us to be praying. Thanksgiving should be the mark of the spirit of the believer. Again, in Philippians 4, 6, be, thank, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2, because it's good for us to hear. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Ephesians 5.4, the one that really bothers me because it's, I like coarse jesting, so I'm trying to harness this for Christ. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which, is, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. First Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We can go about and we can say, well, I want, I'm going to stand for God. I want to do what God wants. Well, I can tell you without a doubt, without any question mark, what God wants for you is to be a thankful people. God wants us to be thankful in everything, every circumstance to give thanks. And so the question is like, what marks our spirit these days? Are we disciplining and training ourselves to be thankful, to be devoted to prayer, to keeping watch? These are real and relevant ways that we can honor Christ in our lives. And as we do this, the reality is that it's good for us. Then Paul comes up with a handful of prayer requests for himself, which we're going to kind of fly through. We're going to pull some applications from it, but in verse 3, Paul says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word now, what can we learn from this, this, this first prayer request? Here's the Apostle Paul. This is a guy who's writing most of the New Testament. 
He's not too proud or too shy to say, I could use your prayers. Please be praying for me. Um, we, we as a church, we, we have opportunities for prayer. We have the e-newsletter that's like a weekly that, that goes out that you can put prayers to be praying for people. And you can also be reading it and be praying for the prayers. Um, like at all the Bible studies that we have, there's always prayer that's a part of it. Um, after the service, there's, there's people who are available to, to pray for you. Um, like we are to actually like ask for prayer requests and to be praying for one another that we are to be doing this as a church. The second thing I noticed is that Paul prayed for an open door for the word. We'll see in the next verse and we'll be reminded of that Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians while being imprisoned for proclaiming Christ. He doesn't ask for an open door to his jail cell. He doesn't ask for the door to his jail cell to be opened. What he asks is that the word of Christ, that the door for the the word of God will open. That while he's in that circumstance for being arrested, for proclaiming the risen Christ, that God's word will go forth. This is powerful. This is super convicting to me. This should be super convicting to us. That as we find ourselves in the situations that we're in, like the whole world's been affected by COVID. The whole world is trying to react to how to deal with COVID. There's a whole bunch of different thoughts about it. Um, if you haven't noticed, they're very polarizing. Like that's this, uh, I've just, in my gift of discernment, I've noticed this. It, it is what it is. And for us as Christians, like we can and should be praying that in the midst of this, that God's word would be busting forth into people's lives. Like regardless of what side you're on, like the two extremes, people are terrified. Like people on both sides, well, I'm just trusting God. Well, it sounds like you're terrified to me on both sides. Like, And being terrified is a wonderful place to be. Like being horrified for your safety is a great place because it's the most open that we are to like receiving the truth about who Christ is. And so we have a whole world of terrified people. Whether you're anti-vaccine or you're pro-vaccine or you're like what like whatever you are in between, like people are terrified. And I think when I look at the New Testament, what I see is that God wants us like as we as aliens and strangers in this earth, there's a whole lot of people whom Christ has died for, and he wants us to be his ambassadors to proclaim the good news. And there's opportunity to tell people, you know what? Jesus loves you. He died for you. And regardless of COVID, he's bigger than this, and he can rescue you from your sin, and he can provide you peace. In the midst of all of this, you don't have to be panicking. There's stability. You don't have to be tossed and turned by every little wind of doctrine or the news that comes out. And so Paul is praying in the midst of this persecution that he was facing 
that the gospel would go forth and that he would have wisdom. He says, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. In his other writings, I think it's in Philippians. Um, I didn't really look it up. I should have because it's just coming to me. But Paul's like in prison and he's like thanking the church. He's like, guys, it's so awesome. I'm locked up. But because I'm locked up and I'm a high profile prisoner, so I'm in this really special prison and the praetorian guard has to watch me 24-7. And so I've had the opportunity to preach the gospel to the whole praetorian guard and people are responding. That's the, that's the attitude he, in his imprisonment, he's being imprisoned. He tells us right here, he's been imprisoned for proclaiming the mystery of Christ, that Christ died for you, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day. That's a mystery, that we could be saved through trusting in Christ. And he says, I've been imprisoned for speaking about this. And what I'm asking of you as you're praying for me as I'm in prison for this, is that you would give me wisdom and that God would give me wisdom and clarity in my speech as I communicate the gospel to these people who are holding me captive because of this very thing. This is my prayer for us as a church, that we would keep our eyes on the ball, which is Jesus, that we would keep our eyes on him, that we would not get off course and get all spun up over secondary things that in the grand scheme of eternity really aren't that important. They're, they're really not that important in the light of eternity. So what do we do with this? This whole praying for you might be like me trying to speak Spanish. Like you don't exactly know like, like I really want to speak Spanish. Spanish person comes up to me and starts speaking Spanish, and I'm hearing like one out of every ten words, and I know the sounds mean something. Like I don't think they're playing, like pulling the wool over my eyes and just running out sounds. And prayer can feel this way to us. Like if you held your place in Luke, I want you to go to Luke chapter 11. And I want to end with this section that is like super encouraging to me. Because it's a section of the disciples going to Jesus and saying, we don't have a clue how to pray. And when we look at John, his disciples, they seem to know how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray? Look what it says in Luke 11, verse 1. Now, it happened while Jesus was praying at a certain place. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus doesn't make him feel guilty. He doesn't condemn him. He, he just says, this is a great request. And he said to them, when you pray, say this. And it's a prayer that all of us probably know, especially if you're raised in a Catholic church. I feel like this is one of them that we like said a lot. But he says, Follow, Father, hallowed be your name. The first thing he starts out with, which is a good tool for prayer, is, is adoration, which means focusing on who God is. He says, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And as he's about to enter into prayer or we enter in prayer, it's a good idea to remind ourselves who God is. 
God is holy. He is creator. He spoke the world into existence. And you just sort of write all of your thinking. You orientate yourself to who he is. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What we desire, we want his kingdom to come. We want his ways to come. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. He doesn't pray for retirement. He doesn't pray for your meal in 30 days. Or like, give us our daily bread. Like, may we have food to eat for our next meal. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And there's all the gospels have a, like a different like aspect of the Lord's Prayer. But we see adoration. We see God's will to be done in our lives. We see prayer, personal prayers for like for the needs of of the individuals. We see prayers for like others and praying for other people. And so it's a great little like outline to follow. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes up to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me for, from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, just like the widow, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asked him for an egg, will he not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And so when we look at this example, when we look at the instructions today, we as God's children are commanded to pray, to devote ourselves to to prayer. We need to practice talking to God. Like, like just practice this week. Like, I don't know the next event that you're going to have. Like, you know, maybe when you sit down for lunch today, like as a family, actually pray if you never pray. Like, give thanks to God for your food. Maybe before you go to bed, say a prayer. Thank God for this day. Tomorrow when you wake up, wake up with Lord. Thank you for today. Help me to navigate today. Help me to bring you glory. Simple prayers. He doesn't need big lofty words. Let's pray. Father, as I wrap up here and looking at this passage, we come to the very thing that this passage is about. Communicating with you. If we sit and ponder this very thing that we're doing, it's It's almost hard to fathom that you have given your creation the ability to communicate 
to their creator. And so, Father, as we pray, we're reminded of your majesty. We're reminded of your sovereignty. We're reminded that you are the one who created the earth. We are reminded that you sent your son to die for us, to absorb the wrath that sin required. And we thank you that in Christ we have freedom, we have liberation, we have freedom from the condemnation that was due us, and we enter into this relationship with you. It is so easy to lose sight of this relationship that we have with you. It's so easy to let the the cares and concerns and worries of this world to overwhelm us and to distract us from the things that actually matter most. And so, Father, we come before you and we confess our sin to you. We confess that we're too easily distracted. We're too easily overwhelmed by things that, in the grand scheme of things, really don't matter. We pray, Father, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, that we would put on our, our new self, that Christ has provided to us as your children. We pray, Father, that you would transform us from the inside out. We pray that you would help us not to be anxious. We pray that you would help us to trust you, to know that you're in control. Uh, You haven't promised us this life, but you have promised us eternal life in Christ. And so we pray that you would help us to keep our hope on the things that truly matter most. Father, help us to communicate with you day in and day out. We pray that you would nurture this relationship that we have with you. Uh, Father, we feel so awkward at times praying and just we don't even know what to talk to you about. And so we pray that you would just help us to, just to, to speak and to let you lead us. We love you, Father. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.